Let's pray. To know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. Father, I think we sing that so easily without a tender thought of the weight, the magnitude of what we've just sung. You loved us by giving your only son to die for sinners such as us. It's a privilege to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Father, we pray that you would use your word to bring a light where there is darkness, to, be, to provide clarity where there is cloudiness, to provide con conviction where there is passivity, to awaken our heart to a new life where there has been an indulgence in a life of sin. Change, Father. Sanctify and save that you may be magnified in this church, both now and forevermore. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 3. Verse 17, I don't like change. My Bible's on the opposite side, so I may mess up this morning. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This morning we wrap up verse 17 and we've briefly looked at pure, peaceable, gentle, full of mercy and good fruits. And they all demonstrate what wisdom should look like. Today we give attention to the last of these fruits. For those of you who are paying attention, I have two points this morning. I'm just saying two points. <laughs> Wisdom is seen in not being impartial, but by being sincere. That's the positive. Why these qualities? James provides at least eight Qualities that should be indicative of a person that has wisdom from above. He indicates that a wise man must demonstrate his wisdom by his good manner of life. His wisdom must be evident in humility. Look at verse 13 again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's that guy? Who's that woman? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom must be seen. 
must be evident. The, ev- the emphasis is not on the profession, but on the action of wisdom. It's not what you say about yourself that matters, but how you conduct yourself that reveals the reality and the condition of your heart. There's only two options that we have. Wisdom is either earthly or it is from above. There is no in-between. There are no other options. You don't have a medium between those two. You are either acting on earthly wisdom or you have wisdom from above which impacts your life to such a degree that you change the way that you speak, you change the way that you think, and you are changed in the way that you conduct yourself. This is such an important component for us today. There are many who claim to love the truth. There are many who picked up their Bible this morning and put on a cloak of righteousness to demonstrate to the world, I'm a churchgoer. I love Jesus and my Bible. But then Monday comes and the demons come out. We make claims without saying a word by just pitching up on Sunday, trying to show to the world that I'm a good person, but have no real devotion to the truth or a commitment to the truth or to the God of the truth. James says, don't lie against the truth. Your conduct will demonstrate who you are. Not just a Sunday morning worship service. Everyone can put on a face on a Sunday morning. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. You know, I think the biggest problem in in the Christian world today is that we have not committed to put the word of God in our hearts. The reason we struggle with wisdom, the reason we are so influenced by earthly wisdom is because what reigns in our heart is the world's thinking and not the word of God. To have the word of God in our hearts means that you are able to make wise decisions. You are able to understand the ways of God and you are able to see the will of God. You are able to walk in the way of God because you are given to the word of God. That is what wisdom is. We don't prioritize memorization of the Bible anymore, do we? We used to do that in Sunday school. I remember going to to Sunday school and um, I used to be that guy that used to get the awards for memorization because I wanted to be that guy who got the awards. Wrong motive. The memorization of the Word of God didn't necessarily change. It was the Word of God when it took root in my heart. Then the memorization meant something different then it was not to get the award, but to honor God. We don't hide the word in our hearts anymore, do we? That is why our lives are so difficult. We struggle to make informed, wise decisions. We are so influenced by worldly thinking. Our plans are engineered from, by wisdom from below. 
our relationships are tethered to wisdom from below. That is why we struggle. We have a verbal connection to the word. We regurgitate doctrines, regurgitate doctrines on a whim. But we can't hang it on a verse. That is why we are unwise. This is what James contends with. Those who do not truly bow the knee to Jesus Christ. They show up in synagogues. They have a cloak of righteousness. They look like everyone else who is a Christian, but there is no connection to King Jesus. People have a tendency to make claims about themselves that are not actually true about their own walk with Christ. I hear often, the Lord moved me to this position. Oh, really? How did he do that? He moved you to... This conviction? Or we say, you know what? If this happens, then I will do that. Hypothetically. If Bafana Bafana wins, then I know it's the will of the Lord. Well, the chances of that is that they probably won't win. So you know it's a foregone conclusion. We say things like, the Lord directed me to this car because I had Peace in my heart. Oh my. Mm. My wife can tell you, I hate spending money. A lot of money. I hate. So I never have peace in my heart when I have to buy a car. I turn and I'm worried about where we're going to get the money from. So maybe it's not the will of the Lord for us to buy that car. You know what? Even murderers, after killing a few people, have peace in their hearts. We throw bones and stones around as if we can conjure up the will of God by looking at things in life saying, this is what the will of the Lord is for my life. Who I choose, where I live, what job I take. It's no different to taking a few bones and stones in your hands and throwing it around as if it was dice and saying, well, that's what I must do. That is not wisdom from above. That is wisdom that is alien to how God operates. That is demoniacal. Yet, we have in clear white pages of Scripture, the mind, the will, and the way of God that can direct our wisdom. We can be better at making decisions that honor God. Yet, we ignore it. We don't take time to study the words of God and the will of God. That is why wisdom for us is so difficult. We will see that we are more hypocritical than we are willing to admit. And I hope that as James speaks to his people and demonstrates to them that if their lives does not coincide with their conviction or their confession, they are hypocritical. I hope that that convicts us that things need to change. He provides at least eight in total qualities that predicate something about wisdom. This morning we will look at those last two. 
my ESV says, wisdom is lost to impartial and sincere. Why does James go through the trouble of pointing out all these things? Well, he's alluded to it already in chapter 1, in chapter 2. God's people must be subservient to his word by being doers of the word. That's what wisdom in the life of God's people looks like. There is one authority, there is one voice we submit to, and that is God's. You may have different words in your translation. The NASB says, wisdom is, and I'm taking out the other seven, unwavering and without hypocrisy. The NET Bible, which I really like, says, wisdom is impartial, um, not impartial and not hypocritical, which is closer to the sense of these words. So let's evaluate, firstly, the quality, the first quality that James highlights about wisdom is that it is not impartial. Now these words, both impartial and um, sincere, is connected in its root. And I, I'm going to give you the Greek words, which I don't often do, but I want you to hear it and then Listen for the similarity. Adiakritos and anupokritos. You can hear the similarity, right? It's in the kritos. That word literally means judgment. So it's got slightly different nuances, but at the heart of it, there is an element of judgment. And this first word that he highlights here, impartial, has two senses. The first sense, which I think the NSB chooses, is unwavering, referring to those who are not uncertain about a conviction. I don't think that, that is the sense that James has in mind here. The second uh, part or second option is impartial. And I think this is closer to what is in view. Why? Because he's dealt with impartiality before. He's dealt with discrimination before. And so it's not unforeseen that he chooses this word to relate to how this church relates to one another. Now, impartial in English means to be unbiased or to be neutral. I don't think anybody can be neutral or unbiased on any given topic. We always have a side, even with regards to our children. We always choose one or the other. Now, I know that there's those parents who say, I don't have a favorite. There's no way I have a favorite. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I'm sure that your kids could clearly point out who's the favorite and who's not. This idea of unmixed judgment, not making a decision between two, lies behind it. But there's so much more, and that is what we will look at this morning, James says that wisdom is not to be prejudiced. A form of this word appears in chapter 2, verse 4. Notice what he says. This is in the context of a poor man walking in. And he says in the middle of verse 
uh, three, you stand over there to the poor man, or you sit down here at my feet, and then he, he responds, have you not then made distinctions, judgments, a separation among yourselves, becoming judges with evil thoughts? This is why I think he's connecting back to what he said. The word means to make a distinction, to make a judgment based on a distinction. One translation says it this way, wisdom is without an element of partiality, in quote. Love that. In other words, wisdom does not show itself in discrimination, segregation, separation, bias, or favoritism. I need to say that again. Wisdom does not manifest itself in discrimination, segregation, separation, bias, or favoritism of any kind. The term applies to those who are free from prejudice, prejudice or divided loyalties. They don't show a favoritism to this person or to that person because this one is rich or that one is not. And we all can say amen to that, right? Wisdom does not discriminate. But let's think through that for a moment. Do we treat all Christians equally? Hmm. Not so amen now. Do we view Christians equally? Or is there a segregation between the teetotlers and the coffee sippers? I'm just saying, I'm both. So I'm fine. I'm neutral. Do we really love Christians equally? Now, if you're on the coffee side, I'm with you. The tea guys, I don't know about the salvation. I think we do need to think more about this idea of partiality. The reason is, in the world, you are forced to be partial. You are forced to be discriminatory. We are manipulated to think through B-E-E-E-E, whatever it is now. We are forced to think through equity. We are forced to think through pro-Palestinian rights. We are forced to be BLM uh, promoters. We are forced to think through LGB community. All of these promote partiality. All of these promote segregation. And then you have Christians on the other side compromising. You are forced to make such discriminatory distinctions, listen to this, in job applications, are you not? If you have to make a decision for a person that needs to work for you, what is the level of choice that you have? Very limited. It's this way or no other way. You're forced to look over certain people while preferring others. Is that not discrimination? Of course it is. Yet this is what our country is predicated upon. No wonder we have problems with discrimination in the church. It may be subtle, but it does exist. One 
author in terms of the problem of discrimination in the church of Jesus Christ today wrote this. How can salt be salty if it's lost its saltiness in a world of discrimination? Does it make sense to you? How do we act differently? How do we show that we are God's people? We think differently. We respond differently. We make decisions differently because we are not discriminatory by nature. But if salt has lost its saltiness in that regard, how do we show we are the children of God in a world that discriminates? That is hard. Wisdom does not discriminate whether it's in the house of God or in the world that we live in, period. It does not discriminate. Worldly wisdom, however, does discriminate, and he proves this in this book, in chapter 2. Wisdom does not, base, uh, does not judge based on what it sees but on what is reality. We saw that they preferred the rich because he looked like somebody important. He came in with a gold ring with fine clothing and they gravitated towards him. And we say that is wrong. We shouldn't do that. Well, hang on. When an American preacher comes to Cape Town, what do we do? We pack up our stuff and we haul there. Why? Because we love the splendor of the accent. We love the flashy clothes. That's not wisdom from above. I can tell you how many times when we have local speakers, people don't pitch. Why? Doesn't have an accent. They say the same thing. They preach the same word. And I don't care if people come, if I teach or not. Honestly, you can ask my wife. There's very little that disturbs me. If I've got two people to preach to, man, I will preach exactly the same as I'm preaching to you today. Why? It's the word of God. It's not about you. I have a responsibility before God, before I have a responsibility to you. The, the sad reality is we will show up if an American appears in this pulpit, we will be there 100% full on in. But the minute we get a local guy's, he's dying. Oh, who's he? And yet we say, we should not discriminate. Discrimination comes in a variety of different sizes and shapes, and we are guilty of it, just like this church in the book of James. Often, and I had to deal with this at seminary, we choose sides because of the color of people's skin. Now, people will gravitate to what they know and what they like. Colors are like magnets. I mean, they just... Doesn't matter where they are, if they are in a public place, you will you will see them gravitate towards one another. I know it's uncomfortable to speak to somebody that doesn't look like you, but Christians should be colorblind. Christians should not make discriminatory decisions based on how a believer looks. This is what took place 
in the synagogue. A rich man walks in. He didn't say anything. He wasn't worth anything. But they looked at him and they made a decision. That poor guy doesn't deserve that seat. Let this rich man sit there. If there's one place on earth where color and separation and segregation will not matter, it is in the house of the living God. Yet, we struggle with it. We've got companies like Logos that has Black Month. Is that not discrimination? By elevating one class of people above another? That's discrimination. How come they don't have Chinese Month? Or, okay, they don't know what colors are. But Colored Month, I should, I would, should put in a petition. Or White Month. Why is it that you only have Black Month out of the 12 months of the year? And you may be thinking, you know what? White's had enough rain. They had enough exposure. For If you are thinking that there's a bigger problem in your heart, that's discrimination. Unfortunately, I use logos. If I had another option, I would. Another area we see discrimination is masked under the canopy of my preferential friends, my friends of circle, also known as cliquishness. You only hang out with a certain crowd. Or if your friend arranges something, you will be there. Is that not discrimination? Are we not making distinctions amongst one another? What about the super spiritual? I'll give everyone else a rest. What about the super spiritual? These are those who love just to talk about the Bible. They don't care about your life and your struggles. Don't tell me about what's happening in your life. I'm not interested in that. What did you read this week? How's the Lord ministered to you? What's Jesus doing in your life? They don't care about your struggles. The minute you start talking about, you know what, my husband's really sick and it's just been hard. They're gone. Are they not making discriminations? Are they not choosing who to fellowship with based upon what they hear from people? What about those who ignore the super spiritual? Those like us regular plebs who don't always talk about the Bible. And I love talking about the Bible, believe me. But I do like to talk about things that I like as well, like knives and guns. And people go, ah, how can a pastor talk about planes and guns and knives? I'm a, I'm a Tom Cruise kind of guy, not, not, not his philosophy. I, I like Top Gun. You might kick me out of the church. <laughs> I was brought up rough, and so I'm a guy. I like cars. I like planes. I like guns. I have no problem talking to men about that. And yet people will try to avoid me because I talk about knives and guns. So it's not violent, folks. How's that guy? It's not violent. What about us who ignore the super spiritual? Are we not in one church? Is that not what happens in this book 
of James, where the sin of partiality rips this church apart, where they choose one and he uses it as an illustration. Somebody comes into your church and you give him more attention than this poor guy who is in need. You ignore what you see and you gravitate to what you like. That's discrimination. That's what happens in churches all the time. And yet we say, we don't discriminate. That is not wisdom that is from above. That is sinful, self-glorifying, self-centered wisdom. And I'm going to echo the words of James. Have we not made distinctions with evil motives? Yes, we have. In reality, we have played our hands by how we relate to people in the church of Jesus Christ. And we demonstrated the kind of wisdom that dominates our hearts. Wisdom that focuses on segregation, on the external, uh, on cliquishness, is wisdom that is discriminatory. In reality, there are some of us who will go out of our ways for, other, for others, out of our way for others, but for others, for some, nah, just not interested. Listen to James 2, verse 1 through to 4. My brothers, show no partiality. Don't do it as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. And if you were here, you would remember what I said about that qualifier is equating Jesus Christ to what they know about God being the one who possesses glory. There is no the Lord of glory in the original. For a man wears a gold ring and fine clothing comes, uh, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your synagogue, which is translated as assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing, and the literal translation of shabby is nothing but bones on, just only see his clothes, the, the shreds that is hanging off him. He's in desperate need. He also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say to the one without meeting his need, you... Sit in a good place while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The answer is yes. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor in this world to be poor of the world or poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Later on, he speaks about ignoring the daily needs, the lack of the poor in the church while you honor the rich. Is that not discrimination? Yes, it is. If this is you, then you are heavily influenced by wisdom from below. In fact, James leaves these last two 
as the most weighty of the elements. You can't hide the fact that you are discriminative. It will show up. Especially in the next element, you'll see that. We live in a world that majors on discrimination, that drives us to be separated. You'll see this in Genesis. You may have picked it up already. When the world comes together and is united around a single goal, it is never a good thing. Where did we see that? Tower of Babel. Remember that. When the world rallies together around a single goal, whether it's BLM, CRT, vaccines, whatever it is, if they are rallying together for a single goal, be concerned. It's never a good thing. We, as God's people, must be united around what? The truth. And our unity in Christ. We are God's people and should not act like Satan's emissaries. So firstly, Wisdom from above does not discriminate. So not only is wisdom indiscriminate, but also, secondly, wisdom is sincere or rather unhypocritical. I know it's not a word, but you can understand what it means. This is an interesting word, the end of verse 17. The ESV says, wisdom is... Impartial and sincere. It literally means to be without pretense, to be genuine. And I like the translation sincere. Here, we end on the introduction of the deception of self. There are those who go to church every week. They dolly up, put on their tie, put on their face, do their hair. But they know in their hearts, they are not right with God. See, we can't see their hearts. We we don't know where they are. We don't know what their walk looks like from Monday to Saturday. But on a Sunday, they put on a show. The best show that they will put on a whole week. Because no one's there for the rest of the week. No one's there on Sunday evening. But they show themselves to be Christians when they show up at church. They have a display as if they love the word. They carry this big Bible that says Greek and Hebrew all over it. That's me. That's me. I'm not pointing to anybody. They are... Easy. Let me put it this way. They quickly exit the fellowship of the saints with their big Bible and all. Why? There's no real connection. There's no real love. 
There's no real union. Why? Because God is not there. So you play pretend. This is what James is after in the synagogue. People that had no real relationship with God, but they put on a display. They claim that we have God as our Father. We, 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 we believe in God in chapter 2, verse 19. They say, but Abraham's our father, but there's really no relationship with God. That's deception. The last word that James deals with points to a greater problem that most Christians or so-called Christians are willing to admit. James says, wisdom is sincere, ESV. I like that word. It's slightly short of the nuance, but I like the idea of sincerity. It's genuine. It paints the picture of being true, of lacking in pretense, in not putting on a show. Sincerity. Does that describe us? Is that, is that who we are on a regular basis? True wisdom is not fake. It's not something you put on on a Sunday. It's not a mask that you could plaster all over your face. True wisdom is not indicative of those who are rotten inside, but look really beautiful on the outside. So in other words, true wisdom is unhypocritical. This again looks at behavior. What does hypocrisy mean? And I do have to explain this because we have different understanding, uh, a different understanding of what hypocrisy means. Often people will say, I'm done with church. I will no longer go to church because the church is filled with what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. I remember doing uh, evangelism once. It's way before I came to Living Hope. And uh, a family went up to this house. A family opened the door and this little old lady, well, older than I am, so she looked really old. I was in my early 20s, so she looked really old. And I started to share the gospel. She said, nah, just, just stop there, stop there. I'm not interested in what you have to offer. I said, me, I'm not telling you anything that I have. I'm telling you what God says in his word. I said, she said, no, no, I love what the Bible says. I'm just not interested in what you as a Christian have to offer. I said, I've been to many churches. And it's filled with hypocrites. So I will not be coming to your church. So just stop. And I said to her in my foolishness, you're right. It is probably filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I didn't really have an answer. Didn't think through it. And I said, you know what? Jesus loves you anyway. Hmm. That was foolish of me. Hopefully I know a little bit better now. I just didn't know how to answer that point. Is the church filled with hypocrites. I think the question is, what do you mean by 
hypocrite because often we have something different in mind. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what it doesn't mean and then I'll show you what the Bible means by this word hypocrite. So when that happens to you, firstly ask this person, what, what do you understand a hypocrite to be? The first misnomer is that it does not mean to be imperfect. A hypocrite is not somebody that sins. A hypocrite is not somebody that is not perfect. I don't like double negatives, but you know that that makes sense, right? Many times people see Christians sinning or the year of Christians failing or the year of pastors having fallen in sin and that happens. And what do they say? Hypocrite. That guy is a hypocrite, so I will not go to church because he is a hypocrite. Why do certain people fall away from, quote-unquote, fall away from the faith? Because their pastor fell into sin. They looked at his life and, well, that guy's a hypocrite. But what do they mean? No, he was not perfect all the time. He was not sinless all the time. The time as if Christians never sin. They expect consistent perfection and the smallest sign of imperfection gives them the cause to say hypocrite. Right? Doesn't it happen at home where you are maybe the head of the home and you love your wife but you fail in one area. You love your husband, and, but you fail in one area, and he calls you a hypocrite. <laughs> one guy, in terms of um, submission, really struggled with this. She doesn't want to submit. She just she refuses to submit. She's a hypocrite. Yeah, it's easy, right? It's easy when it's not you. To call out the sin of another. But that's not what a hypocrite is. Does James not say in chapter 3 verse 2? Brothers, verse 1. Do not many of you become teachers? 4 verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. That's an admission that we all sin. And in fact, it's written in, so, in, 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 in such a way to give this idea. For we all stumble a lot. Yeah, we all stumble, we all fall or get tripped up by certain sins. So hypocrisy has got nothing to do with perfection because nobody can attain it. If that person looks at your life and calls you a hypocrite, well, he's a hypocrite as well. Why? Because he sins as well. Hypocrisy has got nothing to do with falling short of perfection. Secondly, the second misnomer is that if you are direct, if you speak the truth uncompromisingly, you're a hypocrite. So I've seen enough um, Christian preachers on the tube where so-called Christians walk up to them and say, you're a hypocrite, you're unloving, you're calling people out for their sin. That's hypocrisy because you're not what? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, I'm not perfect at all. But is it my tone? Or is it my strength in my tone? Or is it 
the strength of my words that makes me a hypocrite. All of it, right? That's what they think. The, the fact that you've pointed out sin makes you a hypocrite. You are loving because you preach hell. You are loving because you point out people's sin. You are loving because you mentioned LGBZ. You, you are loving because you mentioned BLM. You are loving, so therefore you are a hypocrite. That's not what it means. On the other hand, not only are those who are considered, uh, those who are direct and insensitive to people's sinful behavior are called hypocrites, but also those who are soft and don't speak up about people's sin are also called hypocrites. Well, well you, you never point out that this pastor in our area does this or does that. Listen, I'm not in the business of laying out people's sins in this world. That's God's job. He will lay bare their own sinfulness. If it's relevant to a topic, I will mention it like we did last week or last time. You have these two extremes. There are those who hew people down with their words because they think that they are better than others. And there are those who don't ever speak a word because they don't want to offend others. Yet scripture tells us that we have to season our words with grace, but also speak the truth in love. Both are required of God's people. Yes, you have to mention sin, but you do it in love. Yes, you, there are times where you are gracious to a sinner, where you don't point out his sin, but you point him to the cross. One author says this, why is it that married men forget this quite often? End quote. I didn't say it. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's right. Why is it that we often forget that our tongues demonstrate the reality of our hearts? The way we speak to people tells us who we really are. Both of these descriptions of, of um, hypocrisy fall short of what it is. What does it mean? The foundational meaning is to be insincere, to play a part, to pretend to be something that you are not. Christians who sin are Christians who sin. They are not faking Christianity. They are, may struggle with a sin, but they are not faking Christianity. A hypocrite is putting on a part, he's playing the part of a Christian, but he's not a Christian. That is what a hypocrite is. Listen to how Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. I suppose I have to go there since I don't have it in my notes. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to what he says. Speaking about those who are committed to preaching the gospel, he says... Um, that they endured beatings, imprisonments, verse 5, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, and uh, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. The word there is unhypocritical 
love or sincere love. In other words, we didn't put on a display for you. We were not fake. Romans 12, 9, Paul says, Let love be genuine, same word, unhypocritical. Let it be sincere. Let it be genuine. Don't put on a fake persona of love. Let it be true. 1 Timothy 1, 5, Paul says, The aim of our charge is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere or unhypocritical faith. So faith that is not fake or put on a show. The sense is to be authentic and not superficial. It's not the guy that puts on the tie and looks all presidential, but is a demon inside. Let me illustrate it from the ancient Near Eastern context. In the A&E, which is the ancient Near Eastern context, they used to have people who sold pottery. And the potter would um, try to obviously make some money. And in selling this pottery, you have to sell quality pottery. You can't sell junk. But there were those, like we have today, who sold junk, crack pots. But they had a way to fix the pots. So they would take... Um, they would take wax and fill the wax where the cracks are and then paint over the wax. So when these people come and buy the pottery, they would see a beautifully shaped pot with no cracks, no, no splendor, no cracks. It looks really wonderful. And they would buy it, go home and put water in it. What would happen? Hot water in it. The wax starts to melt and it's fake. It's not a genuine item. Looks real, but it's not. On the other hand, there were those who didn't want to sell those wax-filled fake pottery. And they would write on their pottery, Sincera. Sincera. You know what that word means? Sun tested. The only way that you're going to know if the pottery is genuine is if you lift it up to the sun and the sun will reveal the blemishes, the cracks, and the wax that is in it. Only when revealed to the sun can you see the flaws. And those who were genuine in their sales said, this has been sun tested. You can test it in the sun because this is a genuine thing. Now, if you go to some Chinese stores, they will sell you something and it says BMVV instead of BMW. It looks like the real thing, but it's not exactly the real thing. It's fake. There are fake cool drinks as well. You get Coca-Cola, the real one, and then you get what? No, not Pepsi. Diet Coke. It's fake. It's not real. That's the word. It's a pretense of the real thing. It's a fakery of the real thing. James says, wisdom from above 
is not seen in fake behavior. It's not fake. It's not putting on a show. Look at me and my big Bible. Look at me and my engraved T-shirt. Look at me and my... You fill in the blank. No. Wisdom from above is not filled with fakiness. And I know it's not a word. I love to do that. But you will remember that word. There is no masking of reality. There is no Sunday show. You are what you are on a Sunday as well as on Monday. This is who you are by nature. You're not fake in your relationships. You're not fake in your conversation. You're not fake in your devotion. You are what God has made you and you live that life. That is what a Christian is that has wisdom from above. That is hard to hear. And some of us are sitting here under the pretense of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I call you to repent. You need to bow the knee to Jesus. Listen to what James says to his audience. Chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you unbelieving, double-minded sinners. Be wretched and mourn and weep. He's calling them to repentance. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord. In other words, bow the knee to Jesus and he will exalt you. Stop exalting yourself and let him do the exalting. You need to be saved if you are playing church this morning. Bow the knee, humble yourself, and be saved. The reason church, the reason churches struggle with relationships, the reason churches struggle with small body dynamic, the reason, reason churches struggle with building sound, godly, God-honoring relationships is because it's filled with fakery. People pretending to be what they are not. I'm not interested in your fake love. If you don't love God's people, you need to be saved. The one sign that will show we are, that we are His disciples, Jesus says this, the world will know. The world is not a word. The world will know that you are my disciples. You will demonstrate that you are Christians. How? If you have love for one another. Notice Jesus didn't put in there, if you have love for me. No, because if you have love for him, what will you see? Love for his people. To have love for God's people is indicative of having love for God. To have love for God is seen in having love for His people. If you don't have love for God's people, you may not be a Christian. I call you to be saved. Hypocrisy is a church fellowship. Sorry, I'm a colored. Hypocrisy 
is a church fellowship killer. My wife says sometimes it comes out. I, I can't help it. It's a fellowship killer. It breaks up what God has established. Paul says, maintain the unity that he has brought. Saints, if we prefer one group of people over another, if we prefer one class of people over another, if we prefer one type of skin people over another, we are no different to the world. If that is us, we all then need to be saved because that is not a sign of somebody that loves the Lord. This is the problem that James deals with. A verbal claim to know God, a verbal association with God, but no real demonstration of a walk with God. I have one illustration to do to finalize it, but I will leave that for Wednesday. Matthew 23. Jesus gives us at least seven components of what a fake person looks like. A hypocrite proclaims love of the truth, but opposes those who love the truth. A hypocrite shows his love in greed and practices insincerity. A hypocrite loves the praise of men, but never really praises men. A hypocrite is more concerned about what people see than what people don't see. A, a hypocrite does not love the people that God loves, but loves Love from God's people. That's a fake Christian. Saints, we have been influenced by this world and I hope, I truly hope, that James is not describing a fake Christian amongst us today. Let's pray. Lord, expose the sinfulness of our hearts Expose the hypocrisy that we are prone to. Chip away and chisel away that which stands in your way of making us fruitful and faithful believers. Be merciful to us as a congregation. We are sinners, Lord. We do the things that dishonor you without any regard. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to love your people, and hate our own sinfulness. Help us to love your word and despise what we cherish. Forgive us. Change us, O oh Lord, that we would become more like Christ. May that be the prayer of every believer here this morning. Let us not remain the same, that your name may be honored among the Gentiles. We give thanks to you for your goodness and your patience and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do not sing.